Birdnote presents. For National Poetry Month here in the U.S., we're featuring contemporary poets and their work about our feathered friends. Poet Timothy Steele loves birds and has written a number of poems inspired by encounters with them. Steele is known for his love of rhyme, meter, and traditional forms of poetry. Not that other forms are lesser. But I think that form and the rhythmical arrangement can give speech a kind of focus and stability and also a liveliness that you might not be able to get by any other literary means. Not only does form help me come to an understanding of my subject, but sometimes when you're trying to secure a cadence or locate a rhyme, you look at what you're writing about from different angles, angles you wouldn't normally look at. Steele found this happening when he wrote about a northern mockingbird that had taken up residence right outside his bedroom window. And he sang day and night. I love mockingbirds generally. They're wonderful mimics, but even more than that, they're so bold and cheeky. But in this case, I did wish that this particular fellow would shut up. (laughs) And I wrote the poem as a kind of plea to him. I was dazzled and at times irritated by its wild, wild song. So I started to write about it, and I settled into uh, the iambic pentameter couplet. And I started to realize that the form was putting me in dialogue with a bird because its song was all over the place, and I was, you know, using this preeminently stable (laughs) form. Mockingbird, erratically, tirelessly in song, he does his imitations all day long, appropriating every voice he hears, astonishingly shifting vocal gears. He chirrups, trills, and whistles crazily, perched at the twiggy apex of his tree. When argued with by smaller, lesser birds, he raucously refutes them with their words. When not receiving notice, as he should, from earthbound members of the neighborhood, he drops down onto chimney or garage, continuing his hectoring barrage. One might object to his inflated noise, the pertinacious manner he employs. Except the sequences which he invents are born of urgent pathos in this sense. For all his virtuosity of tone, the singer has no note, which is his own. In writing the poem, I I sort of recovered some of the affection I'd lost over several days of his nonstop singing. Another poem of Steele's was inspired by a more welcome visitor to his backyard garden, a black Phoebe. I love the black Phoebe. It's probably my favorite bird. It's very small, it's very elegant, 
it's wonderfully agile and wonderfully unpredictable in flight. You know, it just dips and dives and darts all over the place. It always made me happy when I saw it. Black Phoebe. Her swoops are short and low and don't aspire to more, it seems, than nature's common strife. Perching, she strops her bill across a wire as though she'd barbered in a former life. When the wire rocks, she quickly dips her tail a few times and her balance doesn't fail. If she displays an unassuming pride, compact, black-capped, black-breast puffed to the sun, the sentiment perhaps is justified. Mosquitoes, gnats, and flies would overrun much of the planet within several years, but for her and her insectivorous peers. Not prone as are the jays to talking trash, she offers quieter companionship. On summer days when starlings flap and splash and make the bird bath over spill and drip or empty out its basin altogether, she seeks the shade and waits for cooler weather. When autumn whips the plum tree to and fro and rains slick its dark trunk and pools collect among its exposed roots and Mexico tempts most birds of the garden to defect, it is a cheering check against chagrin to think this is the place she'll winter in. She makes for now a series of abrupt dives, lifts, and turns. From a tomato stake, she spots a moth and darts to interrupt its course, and then retrieves her perch to make a thorough survey, though at no great height, of plants confided to her oversight. Steele had fun personifying the bird, imagining why it liked to stay in his garden. I flattered myself that, oh, it likes me, <laughs> or it likes the yard, or it likes the Iceland poppies, which, of course, is pure projection and not at all true, but it's nice to think that way sometimes. This last poem is about a bird that is not so much in its natural habitat. Steele was flying across the country to attend a poetry reading and had a layover at the Memphis airport. And while in the airport, I saw this little warbler that had found its way into the airport and didn't seem able to find its way out. You know, I thought things were a little upside down in the situation that I was able to fly off <laughs> without the benefit of wings and it was trying to migrate north. In the Memphis airport, Above the concourse, from a beam, a little warbler pours forth song. Beneath him, hurried humans stream. Some draw wheeled suitcases along, or from a beeping belt or purse, apply a cell phone to an ear. Some pause at banks of monitors where times and gates for flights appear. Although by nature flight endowed, 
he seems too gentle to reproach these souls who soon will climb through cloud in first class, business class, and coach. He may feel that it's his mistake he's here, but someone ought to bring a net to catch and help him make his own connections north to spring. He cheeps and trills on, swift and sweet, though no one outside hears his strains. There, telescopic tunnels greet the cheeks of their arriving planes. A ground crew welcomes and assists luggage that sky caps, treating bags like careful ornithologists banded with destination tags. You can find more information about Timothy Steele and more poetry about birds by contemporary writers at our website, birdnote.org. I'm Mark Bramhill.